Turn again this morning to the book of Leviticus, and again this morning to the 19th chapter of the book of Leviticus. We considered the first 18 verses last Lord's Day under that heading of, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. And then looking back through those first 19, verse 18 verses as to how God told them to demonstrate that love. So if you're visiting, we didn't skip the first half of the chapter just to concentrate on the second, but we only did the first half. So this morning, we pick it up at verse 19 and read then through verse 37. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave, assigned to another man, and and not yet ransomed or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. They shall not be put to death, because she was not free. But he shall bring his compensation to the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord for his sin that he has committed. And he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year... You may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord your God. You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair of your temp- on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute, lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear your God. I am the Lord. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hint. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. As far the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. For Lord, you tell us. Sin is not acceptable to you. You are God. You are holy. 
And Lord, may we read these things in the Old Testament and understand they apply today. We are to serve you. We are to be honest. We are to love our neighbors. And Lord, write this on our hearts and on our minds that we can live praiseworthy lives to you. Let's pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So as we begin, first of all, let me tell you, there's no winning this one. There's no satisfying everybody on this one. You're all going to be upset by the time you leave, or, Lord willing, you'll be going, makes sense. I get it. That is what I would pray for this morning. This is indeed difficult stuff. The chapter we had on the various sexual things was a difficult chapter. But I think we all, as we read the chapter, as we reflect upon it, we would all be in agreement. Yeah, those are wrong things. Those are sins that are horrible. Should not be named among us. Yes, they're all wrong. I, I don't think anybody would argue for the rightness of any one of those outside of the individual that I quoted the other day or a few Lord's Days back. But this one is a little bit different. There's a lot of stuff in here. There's a lot of things that need to be sorted out as far as what is God addressing? What is God dealing with here? And so I think the best way to start is back in chapter 19, verse 1. I think we need to put it in the context of the whole of the 19th chapter, which was, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. If we put this chapter in the context that what God is saying is that all of our life is to be holy. Why? Because God is holy. God is holy and God is holy all the time. There is never a moment that God is not holy. There has never been a moment. There never will be a moment that God will not be holy. Be holy for I am holy. And God isn't saying then, be holy part-time like I am part-time holy. If God is fully holy all the time, then the call of God to you and I is that our whole life is to be holy. Because God is holy all the time. And God is holy in all he does. There is nothing that God does that is not holy. There is nothing that God has done in the past. There is nothing that God is doing in the present. There is nothing that God will do in the future that is not holy. Why? Because God is holy all the time. Every word that God speaks is holy. Now, when God comes now in Leviticus at the beginning of this 19th chapter and says to you and I, be holy, for I am holy, what God is saying is, your whole life, your whole life is to be holy. So that shall no part of day or night from sacredness be free, wrote the hymn writer. 
We're to have a mindset that doesn't say, I come to church on Sunday, that's my holy day, the rest of the time I can do what I want. Or when I come to my home at night, now I will be holy. But the rest of the day and the way I treat employees or the way I treat the boss or the way in which I treat customers, that can be any which way. I have to be holy when I come home and deal with my mom and dad, but I don't have to be holy with my teacher at school or the bus driver. I, I have to be holy when, I, when I'm around fellow Christians, but at the store, I don't need to be holy. I, I need to be holy, yes, when I'm, when I'm opening the Bible and reading the Bible, when I'm praying, yes, I, I should be holy then. But I don't need to be holy when I'm choosing movies to go to or which radio station to listen to in my vehicle or which book to read. No, I don't need to be holy then. No, God is holy and God is holy all the time in all he does in every word he speaks. And the call then of Leviticus 19 is for us to be holy all the time in everything we do, in everything we say. He say, we can't do that. Absolutely. God knows that. God understands that. That's why there is the provision of atonement that is given in the book of Leviticus and is given to us in and through Jesus Christ. As we have been saying, Leviticus only foreshadows that which is to come. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm to be holy. For Christ has made you and I holy. That's the work of Christ. That's the glorious work of grace. That's the work of the atonement. That's the work of the cross. He has washed us. He has cleansed us. He has put upon us the robes of righteousness. Not that we have earned, but that he has earned because of his perfection. Because of his perfect holiness. Therefore, his death on the cross counts. I'm to be holy. Why? Because the Lord God calls me to be holy, but also because Christ has made me holy as a believer in Jesus Christ. There ought to be a special passion within our hearts as believers to desire to live a holy life. Why? Because God commanded it? No, because Christ has given it as a gift to be used, to be exercised. The means of which is that he has poured out his Holy Spirit within us. That the Holy Spirit dwells within us. He doesn't come and go in us. He doesn't leave for periods of time and then come back. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? As Paul reminds us in various ways throughout the New Testament. The Lord is holy. And he calls you and I to be holy. First part of the chapter of Leviticus, how do we do that? By loving our neighbor as ourself. How do I live this holy life? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
what's going on in the second half? Well, you can read lots of different opinions as to what is going on. Some people say this is just a hodgepodge collection of rules and laws and statutes that God has given. Yeah, it sort of seems that way. Sort of seems like we're going every which direction here. You know, to us, reading it, we go, and now God thought of this, and now God thought of that, and now God thought of this, and it's all sort of random. But God never does anything random. God is a God of order. So the question would be, if the first part of the chapter is about loving your neighbor as yourself, and this is what Jesus quotes, right, to the scribe, as we had last Sunday, what do you suppose would be the category under which this section of the chapter might fall? Hmm. Maybe love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and great commandment. So I'm going to have us think about the, this last section, these verses of 19 through 37, under the heading of, remember we belong to the Lord. We are the Lord's. And we are to love the Lord our God all the time, in every way, in everything we say, 24-7, 365 days a year. We are to love the Lord our God because we belong to Him. We are His people called out of darkness into His marvelous light that we might be the light of the world, that we might be the salt of the earth, that we might make a difference in our society, in our culture, in our nation, in our world, in the lives of our children, the lives of our spouses, called to a life of holiness because that is what we are in Christ. With the glorious gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. We belong to the Lord. So the the idea behind these last verses is all about God being primary. So what do we first meet? We meet a bunch of laws about mixing. One of which, my guess is every single one of us in this room would be in violation of. How dare we appear before God with clothing made of two different items? My guess is, if you looked at the tag on the back of your shirt, back of your pants, you'd read something percent polyester, some percent cotton. You've just mixed two things. How dare you appear before God with mixed clothing? Now, I'm not advocating you go take your clothes off right now. We're not going down that route. That would be another whole religion we'd be starting then. What's the point? What's the point of when God says, don't let your cattle breed with a different kind? Probably a few folks in violation of that, whether it's your cattle or your little puppy or your cat. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seeds. I just planted pumpkins 
where asparagus comes up this week because the asparagus will come up first and then the pumpkins will come up. Seems like a no-brainer. Good use of the soil. Don't do that. What was the point God was making? You're about to go into the land that I am giving to you. There you're going to encounter people who are pagans. Don't mix with them. Don't try to combine with them. He's going to give laws about intermarriage. Don't intermarry with them. Don't do business with them. Paul says the same thing, right? Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The point is, don't seek to mix the worship of God with other things. There is to be no mixture. How do I want you to signify that when you get into the land? Let's do this. Don't breed your cattle with different kind of cattle. Don't sow your your field with two kinds of seed. Don't wear clothing. I want you to be my distinct people. Yeah, everybody's going to look at you and go, what are you people doing? But the point God is making is I don't want you mixing me with other religions. And what happens when they get there? They do exactly that. They might have worn one style clothing all their lives. They might never have planted two kinds of seed in the soil. What's the problem? They saw this, but they didn't get the point. Isn't this what Jesus is dealing with with the Pharisees in the New Testament? You do this and this and this, but you miss the point. The point isn't this and this and this. The point is don't mix your worship of God with other gods. You're my people. Stay my people. Is that law still enacted? Of course it is. God doesn't want us worshiping and mixing together our religion with Islam. God doesn't want me on my knees here saying, oh God. And then move over to the other side and say, oh, just for the safe side, oh Allah. And and just to be safe, let's throw in a bunch of Hindu gods as well. An event, by the way, that happened last week before Thanksgiving in our city. God says, no, no, no. You worship me and it continues sin is sin you might say what does this guy who lies sexually with a woman who is a slave have to deal with it who does she belong to the question is who does this woman belong to and God is making provisions here he's not changing the law he's not saying well you see it's okay to commit adultery no Because it isn't adultery. She's not married and neither is he. This is not the law of adultery. So God says, in this case, we're not killing anybody. Why? Because you belong to me. I know exactly what you're going to do. I know exactly the heart of you as people. 
So have them bring a ram. Not an inexpensive offering. Not cheap, by the way. Bring the ram. Have them offer it. She didn't even have a free choice in this. We're certainly not going to kill her. In fact, you note, she doesn't even have to bring an offering. God is looking at the whole question of how do we relate to him? You belong to me. You belong to me. There's going to be others who come who will seek to take you away from me, to rob you of that which you have, but you belong to me. And I have you covered. Third, it belongs to the Lord. Rules about fruit trees. And when you can pick the fruit, and who the fruit has to go to. The way the Jewish people enacted this is that for those first three years, as that little fruit tree is growing. I mean, see, we imagine fruit tree, oh, big orchard, big trees. No, we're just planting the thing. It's just this big. It's only got maybe 10 buds on the thing the first year. What do you do? You pick them off. You know what they called it? They called it circumcising the tree. Because it belonged to the Lord. It's the Lord's possession. And even when the fruit comes fully in in that fourth year, it belongs to the Lord. Just fruit? Or do you think God is giving a principle about ourselves that we belong to the Lord? From the time that that water of baptism is placed upon our forehead, we belong to the Lord. We are his. And that's the principle that God is instilling upon them in how they care for their fruit trees. It isn't the fruit trees. It's the Lord. And it's his ownership. And the fact that we belong to him. I am the Lord your God. Repeated over and over and over again. Does the law change? No. We still belong to the Lord. Fully, completely, totally. I surrender all. Why? Because we belong to him. Next one. We're up to like verse 26. No serving other gods. Notice how the the blood this time got in involved with interpreting omens and telling fortunes? It's because the pagans of that day would often take the blood of an animal, put it in a dish, okay, add some other things to it, swish it around, and then say, now I can tell you your future. I can read the blood. I can read the life of the animal in this, and I can tell you what's going to happen. And now if you drink it, it will take place. Well, if you're getting paid for this, my guess is it's always on the good side. Don't do that. I've already commanded you not to eat the blood. Well, don't drink it now in in consultation where you're going, trying to find out the future, trying to read the blood. 
I am the Lord your God. And I tell you all that you need to know. That still apply? Sure. Now, a person amongst us who ought to be reading our horoscope. Of course it applies. They say, well, it doesn't say horoscope. No. But that's what they're doing. That's the idea that God is presenting to them. Don't go to other gods seeking their advice. Don't go to me and pray and then run off and try to find some other means of finding out what you ought to be doing. Apart from me and apart from my truth. Oh, and then we come to it, don't we? Verse 27. Oh, notice how this is all in that same section. You shall not round off the hair of your temples, nor mar the edges of your beard. Wow, a lot of violators today. No, not as far as I can see. What did it mean? Well, it sounds like you should never cut your hair. No. You know how I know that? Because there's a rule for the Nazarite. You know what the rule of the Nazarite was? The rule of the Nazarite is the vow the Nazarite takes, which is, I shall not cut my hair for 30 days, or I shall not cut my hair for 60 days, I shall not cut my hair for 90 days, or I shall not cut my hair ever for the rest of my life. That's the vow of the Nazarite. What's the point of a Nazarite vow if everybody isn't cutting their hair? That would make no sense. Obviously, the vow of the Nazarite is to set them apart. What does that mean? It meant the Israelite men cut their hair. Oh, but it says, do not mar. Yeah, that's right. But to mar does not mean to cut your hair. It means to cut it in a way that would be honoring to the pagan god that the Egyptians or the Canaanites served, which we know they did. We know that was a practice of the Egyptians. Where did the Israelites come from? Out of Egypt. Hey, don't cut your hair like the Egyptians did. Why not? You don't like the style? You don't like the way that is? No, because they were doing it to honor their God. Don't cut your hair in such a way that it honors a God. Don't trim your beard in such a way that it's done for the honor and pleasure of a God. For his dictates. Don't do that. And we know they did that as well. As well as, don't cut yourself, don't put markings on your body that would seek to be in service to a pagan deity. Hence, don't tattoo your body. And when you read these in other connotations, it is also in, in honoring of the dead. There is some sort of an occultic practice that is going on in Egypt and in Canaan that God is saying, I don't want you marking your bodies for the service of some pagan deity or for some ritual by which you are seeking to preserve the life of another individual by the markings you put on your body. Rules still stand? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. If somebody's got a tattoo on their arm that says, I love Baal, it's a sin. It's a sin. Somebody's got a tattoo on their chest that says, I love Allah. It's a sin. We are not to mark our bodies to bring glory, to bring honor, to bring praise, or certainly not to show our subservience to that foreign God. No, don't do that. What does that mean today? It means I ought to be pretty careful. But that means I ought to be pretty wise. It means I got to think, what does this mean? What does it actually mean, what I'm doing? What is this practice actually mean? Wait, what am I actually putting on my body? What is the significance of that? Now, this is the part where I get in trouble. I don't think an Israelite who might have put Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 on their ankle, I, the Lord your God, am one. You shall worship me alone. Is who God means. Now, they weren't going to do that. okay? Because that wasn't there in that day. But the point is, that's the point of what is going on here. Whether it's, whether it's trimming your beard, whether it's cutting your hair, whether it's cutting your body, whether it's getting a tattoo. It's all about the service of these other gods in an occult-like practices. Don't do it. Now, I can give you some pastoral advice. You probably ought to do it when you're drunk. You probably ought to do it when you're high. You probably ought to do it as a challenge from somebody else. You probably ought to do it without the advice of a lot of other people. That's just wisdom. Right? You probably shouldn't get the tattoo of a naked lady on your leg. Probably not, you shouldn't. But what about the name of my girlfriend? Will she be your girlfriend three years from now? Or will that wife be a little ticked that you have this other lady's name on your shoulder all the time? Wisdom. But the point God is making is I own you. You belong to me. Don't mark yourself with any other marking that says you belong to someone else. And while we're on the subject, might as well dig it in a little bit deeper. I would imagine there might be some folks who could come into our church, sit down and say, wow, I never knew that the Orthodox Presbyterian Church was an LGBTQ-friendly church, but you've got a rainbow. Well, we better get rid of it. You want to tell the Lord that the next time the sun shines in the midst of the rain? Hey, Lord, you're committing a sin by putting that rainbow in the sky. I don't think we want to go there, do we? See, we need to be careful in how we apply things. 
Because some of you, if this were, I'll just say it, perhaps a United Methodist church and saw it, you, yeah, see, they even got it up on the window. No, it's there to represent and to be reminded of God's covenant with Noah. It's a pretty long-standing thing, isn't it? Yeah. So we need to be careful about applying something new to something that is true and has been true and has been a practice. We have to be careful. We can't go beyond what God is saying, which is, you belong to me. Don't do anything. Don't do anything that would indicate that you're not mine. Not in your markings of your body, not in the cutting of your hair, not in anything. Don't sell out your children. Don't prostitute your children for the sake of convenience. Don't let them go down the path of the world because that's the easy way and you won't run into any opposition if you do that. Teach your children that which is holy and right. Don't prostitute them to the culture of this day. Give to the Lord what's his. Give that which belongs to him. He owns you. He is the one who has said, I am the Lord your God. Don't try to cut corners with your tithe, with the day that God has given to us, the Sabbath. It's not yours to use as you would. Does it still apply? Absolutely. Still applies. God owns us. And we can be so thankful for God's ownership of us because if God doesn't own us, then the devil does. And if God owns us, we have a glorious place to which we are going someday because of Christ. But if the devil owns us, It is a horrendous place where we go for all of eternity. God owns me. No way. I'm a strong, independent. You don't want that attitude. You want to submit to God's law, to God's teaching. Rest on God's promises, verse 31. Don't turn to mediums, necromancers. Don't seek them out just makes you unclean. I am the one who has made you promises. I have told you what is to happen. All that you need to know about your future, I have told you. Show respect. Verse 32. Honor the elderly. Honor the gray head. Demonstrate kindness. Remember, you were strangers in Egypt too. Demonstrate kindness. Have a little forbearance to those who are the strangers within the land. Does that still apply? Absolutely. We're not to be ruthless. We're not to be derogatory towards the stranger that is within the land. 
or to show them the kindness that God has shown to us in Christ. And be fair. In all of life, be fair. Don't be like the world. Because you belong to me. And here's where Psalm 98 comes in. How is God going to judge? Unfairly. God will judge unjustly. God will not be righteous in his judgment. No. He is the one who is coming to judge the world. How? In his righteousness and judge all people in equity. And that's the way as one who belongs to the Lord. You and I are to live life. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in his beautiful song of Zechariah of Luke 1, spoke these words through the Holy Spirit. After talking about the coming of, of John and the coming of the one who John would be the herald of, he says, then we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. So shall no part of day or night from sacredness be free. Father, thank you for your word. It's a challenging word. It's not an easy word. It's a difficult word. And as we seek to to apply that word to our lives in this day, in this age, in this culture, Father, help us to understand that we belong to you and that the desire of our heart is to walk closer with you. And if we walk closer with you, then we'll live more holy lives made possible, made possible only because of your grace in Christ for us. This is the word of the Lord. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen. In the back of your sermon outline is our closing hymn, Oh, for a closer walk with God. I want you to note especially that third verse. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Let's stand to sing the four stanzas.
Hear then God's blessing to you. Now the Lord of peace give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Amen.